This is episode 86 of the Empowered Athlete Podcast. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, created to support athletes in their pursuit of excellence and inspire others toward their best lives. Hosted by Kari Schneider, coach to top performers in sport and life, and Paul Durden, former national and professional volleyball player. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, coming live to you from the bedroom. We're dressed. Oh my gosh. That's how you start? Well, you got to clarify these things. This format doesn't give any visuals. The bedroom has the best sound, the best acoustics, the best... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's why we're in the bedroom. Right. It's, It's perfect for recording a podcast. Thank you. And so before we get into today's topic... I think you need to quickly chat about what we're in the middle of, the craziness that's going on and the changes that are being made. Between COVID, a world pandemic, between awful things happening to humans in the world, we are creating some real massive positive change at the same time. So we really want to keep the focus on what is possible, what we can control in our lives despite the chaos going on in the world and really step into coaching to people's best lives, best selves. And so we're in the middle of the reset. We're literally almost to the halfway point in the Empowered Reset, our first one that we've ever run. It was supposed to be a retreat that had three days in Muskoka with a month-long program but uh, we couldn't go to Muskoka because of So we got COVID. the month-long program. So we switched it to online. We pivoted and adapted really quickly. And uh, it's been freaking incredible. It's, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I can vouch for that because you're running it. But I'm assisting with a morning power-up here and there, which is just a quick 10 to 15-minute call to get the entire group fired up for the day, stoked and focused. But I'm really a participant and a student, and I'm loving it. And getting insights from the things you're teaching about, but also almost more importantly, learning so much from the people in the reset, things they're sharing and watching the processes that they're going through, the struggles they have, what's working for them, what isn't. That's the really powerful part of it. I love a couple of things that you said. Number one, calling the power up, our power up calls in the morning stoked and focused because that's what they are. They really create an intention for the day, but in a real powerful, stoked kind of way. And then at the same time, the what's what's coming from this, this whole thing, the the breakthroughs, the the group itself. The second thing that you said was about the community that we get to learn from because it creates this group that has so many things to offer just from each human being. People who have done incredible things, incredible, incredible things in their lives. And then you get a group of people like that together who are motivated to grow and you can't help but have this extra fuel that gets you going. And if you don't know what the reset is, it's really this month-long program that involves coaching regarding mindset vitality, physical vitality, and spiritual vitality too. And power up morning calls, plus an entire online workout program. Some people have just gone through the juice cleanse portion of it. 
There's a different emphasis each week. We're now on to the growth week. Uh, we started with the the initiation week. So there's there's so much going on with it. Anyway, it's, it's awesome. We're loving it. But that's not what we're going to talk about in this podcast today. We are talking about the... The Last Dance. Yes. And before we get to The Last Dance, if you want to know more about The Reset, reach out to us at info at empowerconditioning.com. We will be having more programs coming soon, different products and things for you to gain the benefits that all the people in it right now are getting and coming out with massive positivity and love. So we're jacked. We're jacked about it. So reach out if you want to learn more, but on to the last dance. And just so everyone listening knows, Carrie and I haven't finished it yet. What you say, how you not finished it? Well, we tend to ration and take very tiny bites of things that we love and binge watching just isn't something that we do. So we are nearly there. We're in the final two episodes. But just found it so, such a show that speaks to us. Yeah. And having been in high performance sport in various veins and in different realms, it just, we love to see these behind the scenes, the stories and have that connection with the process. And so we wanted to just share our thoughts on the show with you. If you have not seen it, it's the last dance. And what it is about is the Chicago Bulls. Focusing primarily on Michael Jordan and the culmination of his second three-year run at a three-peat with the Bulls. So he won three championships, took a couple of years off, played some baseball, came back, and they had another run at another three-peat. Just unprecedented record in basically all of pro sports and what really cemented him as the greatest player ever. And so that's what the show is about. And you just get to see things that you don't normally get to see. And it's very enlightening. And... We wanted to talk about a few things that stood out for us. So, Kari, do you have something that... Just Well, th- there's something I want to enlighten our listeners to that is a little personal to you. And that is that, you know, you know how some people have that room that stays exactly the same as it was from high school because the parents never changed the room? Well, that's what your room was like. Yeah, I left and, home at 18 and, and that room, and the that door room, was closed. Yeah, it stayed the same. Nothing got, nothing got changed. So when I first saw your room, when you opened the door, one of the first things you'd see going in the door was on the far wall was this massive poster across the wall with the wingspan of Michael Jordan palming a basketball. And it's just this impressive thing. And... and Without, I don't even think with you ever really telling me that you were a Michael Jordan fan or a Bulls fan, I just seemed to always know that because of what you would talk about, how you would talk, how you followed basketball. You know, you were the dunk champion in high school, so basketball was your first love over volleyball. Yeah, it was because it was something that you could always play with people anywhere. Volleyball is really organized, but basketball could be organized or pick completely up. unorganized and pick up. Yeah. So it was yeah, playing on the street, playing at my buddy's house in the schoolyard for actual basketball teams and everything and anything in between. So you were a huge Michael Jordan fan, but you may not have known that for me, I was always very intrigued by the Bulls, Michael Jordan, more so than basketball itself. I would end up watching basketball playoffs more because... I was around so many hockey players all of the time and we'd end up watching 
basketball playoffs around the same time as hockey playoffs. So it was yeah. it was this this kind of hand in hand kind of thing. So I was always in that hockey culture, but we'd also be watching basketball playoffs. So it Michael Jordan always intrigued me, but because of his high performance, because of his work ethic, primarily because of his work ethic, because if there's one thing that I understand in sport and performance, he is not naturally the most talented player not from a height perspective or a foot speed perspective or there's there's just you know he he doesn't necessarily exemplify the perfect basketball player he just became that because he chose to master every single element of the game and that's my take on it people can argue that but my take on it is that he decided to work his butt off in every area. And he also, the other thing that resonates with me personally is because there's that gritty, um, almost vengeance type attitude with anybody who crossed his path and told him he couldn't or slighted him in any way. And for me personally, I've been through that so many times. I know what that fuel feels like to decide to work that much harder because someone thinks you can't or someone thinks you're too small or too this or too that and you're not right for the role and then you show them and that that also resonates with me that kind of attitude of you think I can't well I will show you how it's done and and that that part of Michael Jordan is is something that um, people may not like but it certainly lands when I when I watch that yeah for me I, as you mentioned I was a huge Bulls fan Loved the team, knew about them, watched all the games. And it's been a trip watching this show because I'm just remembering so many things I haven't thought about in so long. But the point you just made has been the biggest thing that stood out for me in this series. And it's seeing the techniques that Jordan uses twofold. One, to motivate himself. And two, to motivate his teammates. Because that is the difference it's a complete mental game is in the nba it's some of the best athletes in the world it's so competitive and to have the continual success that they had is insane and it comes down to the relentless ability of jordan to motivate himself in all kinds of ways and to push his teammates to that same level of intensity and it's such a difference maker and you know, in the episode we watched uh, last night, they talk about playoff series where they're playing in the finals, going for a fifth title against the Seattle Supersonics. And Jordan's mm -hmm. with a Madrashad in a restaurant having dinner, and they happen to see George Carl, the coach of the Supersonics, across the restaurant. And as he's leaving, George Carl walks by without saying anything. And Jordan, you know, describes the they're interviewing him about it. And he says, that's all I needed. And he takes that and turns it into motivation. He turns it into a chip on his shoulder that wasn't there five minutes ago and use it to motivate him. But the crazy thing that you'll realize in watching the series is that had George Carl stopped and said hello and said anything, he Jordan would have turned it into what he needed. That's the real secret is that it didn't matter what happened, if it was actually really happening or not. They tell one story about something that may not have even happened that somebody said. 
but Jordan would use these things continually to find motivation when others didn't have it, and that gave him the competitive edge to compete the extra little bit to always win. And that's just, to me, is incredible to see that win at all costs, find a way, use whatever tool you can to get motivation. Is It was astounding to see how he did it year after year after year after year. Now, now on the flip side of this, when, when people, it's such a stark contrast to what I think kids are taught today in terms of, you know, I mean, high performance sport is a different beast than kids sport or university sport even or high school sport. It gets to be really, really intense and everybody's a commodity because they're, they're paid to do a job, but he took things to a completely different level where some might say it's even uh, a bullying situation in practice, just practice in and practice out when the focus was an end result of a championship. And we're on the episode where Kerr got punched in the face. Yeah, <laughs> Steve Kerr. Yeah. Steve Kerr. And, but, but Kerr, did he not, is he not one of the only players who has been involved in eight championships and this player who is just a kind of fly below the radar kind of guy do the work it's not he's not a a shiny showboat you know make a lot of shots kind of guy but a clutch go-to reliable person player that's there and and a guy like Jordan is going to bring the best out of a guy like Kerr and be able to use every single member of that team to their best. So where you're referring to him being able to draw what he needs from himself to get what he needs out of himself for the drive he needs for that game or that series or whatever it is, at the same time, he starts to learn how he needs to be to each one of his teammates right. to get the best out of them or to find what the relationship's going to be with them because each one of them is different at a different point. And then sometimes those players have clearly over that span of time and that kind of, kind of uh, um, team, they've left and gone to other teams at other points, been traded, whatever, contract up. But then he's profiled them so well, he knows exactly how he needs to play, what he needs to do, and what his team needs to do in order to play against that player that he knows very well. And that part of it too, being able to step away from yourself and just your own game to understand your teammate's game and understand your teammate's personality in order to be able to pull the best out of them or drive them to be their best selves is a whole other element that takes a massive amount of mental energy can be exhausting that most players never even sniff at they never even bother with their teammates or what they need to get out of their teammates this is something that is so above and beyond what happens on most teams yeah it's i think i really hope that young athletes are seeing it and even coaches are watching it to see that dynamic and i'm not going to say that that well i was was about to say i'm not going to say that dynamic is wrong or right but you can't argue with the result Mm -hmm. there's been no team 
to do anything like that Bulls team did led by Michael Jordan. And so I'm, I grew up at a time I was coached in a way that was more similar to the environment that he's in in the show. Whereas I know today we've heard from coaches, you've heard from coaches you've worked with, you've seen athletes these days that parenting styles have changed, that there's more of an emphasis on everyone getting a medal, everyone feeling good, those yeah. sorts of things. Yeah. And the the edge has been dulled, if you will. So it's really interesting to see that dynamic. But here, the quotes of the guys who coming through it, of just the the difficulty of going through the process, but coming out of it and realizing how incredible it was and how strong it made them and how it's strong it made the bonds. Mm-hmm. And I remember being a young volleyball player, hearing about the U.S. national team. They won Olympic gold in 84 and 88. And the stories were is that that team would fight in practice, that the guys would just get into it. They were so competitive, pushing so hard on each other that they'd almost fight. And there's this not war mentality, but just a full out We are here to battle to go 100% every single time we step on the court against each other. And that team was unstoppable. Mm -hmm. And this Bulls team in that same environment where you bring it every single day or I'm going to be riding you. Mm -hmm. And that expectation and that bar is set. And so Phil Jackson doesn't have to ever worry about motivating that team. Mm -hmm. He can just worry about strategy. He knows that the guys are going to be dialed in and pushing each other every day he doesn't have to worry about that mm-hmm. and so it it's just a a unique environment that when i started coaching volleyball when i stopped playing i would be setting up competitive drills i could not figure out and talking to my assistant coach we couldn't figure out sorry my co-coach at that time we were, we were sharing the role but we couldn't figure out why the the athletes wouldn't compete and fight or no one got upset if they lost and that, that made it so hard. I watched that and that made it so hard for you to coach because you couldn't, you couldn't relate. You couldn't understand. Right. You, it was, it was, you remember you around that time and you around that time would have been crushed, but it just about over the loss, not even about your own play, but just the loss itself and not see coaching coaching young athletes and seeing them not want to not be so hungry to to push each other is it, it's a different it's a different thing it's a different uh it, it's it was a it was an unexpected environment for you that's for sure yeah and again just it's hard to say can you produce the same results in that that environment versus another environment i'm not sure but i can attest to the fact that you do need to train under pressure situations in training to be able to deal with them correctly in a game and to have that resiliency. And that's what Michael Jordan continually went after new guys on the team or guys he felt were weak because he knew he had to toughen them up because under the brightest lights and the biggest pressure of the NBA stage, which is the most watched sport probably in the world after soccer, you know, the pressure is just insane and they have to be tough and ready for it. And yeah, it's just been 
such an interesting series to see and I just love it. And it just raises so many questions to me about what is the right way or the best way to do it or the wrong way. And obviously the counter to it is, okay, yes, it worked for Michael Jordan and the Bulls, but were those environments similar on other NBA teams and none of those players ever saw success and they've been dealing with struggles from that process afterwards. And because they can't identify with themselves as champions because it was the Bulls for the area that era that they played in. And so there's all those unknowns, but it's really interesting to see how that dynamic worked for the Bulls at that time and what it took to maintain that level. Do you think that, I mean, you and I strive for, I mean, I know what it's like living with you in certain aspects and you know what it's like living with me in certain aspects and in watching this show, we both recognized ourselves in that scenario. Neither of us are basketball players. Well, I mean, you were more of a basketball player than me. I, my grade eight basketball, I don't think that counts. You saw the photo, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it just... So anyway, our basketball careers, we're not basketball players overall, but we recognized ourselves in the mentality, in the drive, in the in the the lack of acceptance for failure or loss um do you think that there's going to be ever another team like this and i don't mean just in basketball but i mean in any sport and if it's possible does it take an individual to create that does it take is it and and i'm not saying that i don't think for a second that it's just Michael Jordan, but I don't think it would have happened. It would not have happened without Michael Jordan and maybe the combination of Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan and then being able to bring the other key players together. But do you think that there's, do you think something like this can happen again in today's day and age where so many younger players of any sport are not, maybe as um maybe as they might be as motivated they might be as driven but not as consistently so that's a that's a great question you'd never want to say never mm-hmm. obviously so i can't see it though uh just because there's so many factors outside of just the team itself with management, with contracts, with uh, just the way leagues are structured, uh, trying to get parity. You you know, sports fans don't like a dynasty unless it's their team. You know, it's it's boring to watch football if the Patriots are going to win every single year. That Patriots fans love it. Exactly. (laughs) Patriots fans love it. A lot of Patriots fans. But it's going to be fans, less exciting every Browns year. Browns fans would like a little go at <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> um, but the yeah, it's hard to imagine somebody who's so strong at getting into their teammates in the way that Jordan did, so confident in their own abilities. I can see plenty of athletes. There's, hundreds of examples of that, but the, that ability to really push the buttons 
consistently day in and day out with that relentless, relentless energy that he had. That's the truly astounding part of what he did. I, I know that from my playing experience, I would work hard to try to motivate other guys to get the best out of them, whatever it took. But the intensity that he did it with and the consistency is... And, and the amount of... The sheer number of games that they're playing yeah, to do it yeah. for that many you know years. It's, yeah, you know what that's like. It's absolutely astounding. Yeah. And, and that's something that I, I mentioned to you when we were watching it. I said, you know, there's so many parallels I can see between... Because you were one of the athletes that I always considered were one of the top, top hardest working athletes that I've worked with in over two decades. And in that time, you know, I, I think of how I've seen you play professionally and with the national team and how, you know, I've, I've trained you for over a decade, but I saw Michael Jordan and I saw so many parallels, so many of that, like the anger that would come out if you didn't win the, the insane work ethic where it was just like, okay, well, I've got another gear and you don't. And so many of those things were such parallels. But then the thing that wasn't was that Michael Jordan got so intense with his teammates to a point where he would just grind and grind and push and push and and just like you say relent unrelenting pressure on them sometimes in a in a mean way i mean he wasn't intending to be mean to them it was for what he per, what he saw as the greater good but for you you would push your teammates but not the same way you would work i think just as hard as a michael jordan but i don't think you would push them as hard you would get frustrated when you and angry when they wouldn't work the way you wanted them to but you wouldn't necessarily just be in their face about it yeah. i mean sometimes you blew on on them on individuals but um well, just sometimes yes sometimes no but not not all the time yeah. like he would have been now in that vein if you think back before the last dance obviously just think back to when you were watching michael jordan how how do you think he influenced you as an athlete? Like how was if he was one of one of those players that you really looked up to? Clearly you did. You had a massive poster on your wall. How yeah. how do you think he influenced you as an athlete? Well, for me, the behind the scenes look of anything in sports when I was growing up was through Sports Illustrated because my dad had a subscription, so I would read that magazine religiously and. Including the, the swimsuit issue. That was a good issue. Yeah. And the the thing about it was that they had some great journalists in there who would do the longer focus pieces on various teams or athletes that would give you a peek under the hood of what they were doing to be successful. And I think those stories, obviously there's a lot about Michael Jordan in there until they ruin that relationship, which you can find out about in the show. But uh, just getting those stories, hearing things said by the coaches, NBA had their version of NFL films where they had features on different players and they would have hearing the quotes from other players about what Jordan was doing. It was definitely influential. It was, okay, here's the model of success. What does he do? 
and same thing for any other athlete. Did That'd you be start about doing then. anything that he that oh. you learned about him? Like, did you start picking up? Yeah, I can't think of something specifically off the top of my head, but I just know that I soaked up that type of information. Like, okay, I was hungry I've, for that. I've got to run. Yeah. I've got to lift. I've got to yeah. do some things like that as a as a high school player. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so that's I think, and then just the influence of just the raw attraction of he's such a spectacular player to watch all the all the hype that's there that anyone in that time knows about of just you know every single sports center highlight film the top 10 each week there's a jordan play or two in there of just something that has your jaw drop so just that alone of just the the sheer awe of what was going on in the court so different from other players at the time and doing things that other players since have replicated and and modeled like Kobe has comment that yeah. you know he wouldn't be who he was without the mentor, Michael mentorship and the mentorship and all of that. Yeah. It's it's so such an amazing. He wanted to eat up quote everything. From Kobe, yeah, everything. That, he wouldn't be the player he was without Michael, and he wanted to eat up everything that Michael had to offer. Yeah. Um, in this time, we're we're in a we're in the middle, or hopefully, hopefully, coming out of a pandemic. There's also all sorts of horrible things happening in humanity in terms of racial tension and and deaths. And it's just, it's such a tumultuous time that, you know, in my mind, I thought we would be decades past those types of tensions and, you know, never anticipated living in a pandemic either. And we have no sport to watch. Now, you and I have been so focused on trying to live the best life that we can that we actually stopped watching a lot of the sports we used to watch because we didn't have the time. We didn't have the time to have that amazing distraction of watching a game for two or three hours or whatever it it took because just the, the need to spend the time with our family uh, and their sports and their activities. So what do you think right now? I mean, I think that ESPN, I think they created The Last Dance and they released this early since the pandemic came out. It wasn't supposed to be released for a couple months later than it was. But where where does sport play a role in where we are right now? How do you see this as fitting into the bigger picture? Is it, I've heard some people think of, you know, they're trying to do this last bid for playoffs for hockey and have this big tournament to replicate a playoff scenario and other people, fans just getting kind of angry that, you know, you can't replicate playoffs. This is about a business decision and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, it's, it's, this is, people are about to blow, people are about to pop, because they've had so much either stress, or they're under such duress with financially, or they have lost all the things that provide productivity or creativity, or distraction for them. I kind of see sport as no, it's not a necessity. It's not one of those things that everybody needs. It is a luxury. It is something that uh, is used for distraction. But in a way, 
that's kind of what people need right now. They need to be able to play. They need to be able to watch people compete. They need to be able to have some of that. Granted, it's not there. It's not a need. It's a luxury. It's not a it's not the bread and butter that gets put on the table to feed a family or to pay a mortgage. And at the same time, you know, that person who can't pay a mortgage, it's so nice to watch something like the blast dance and get sucked into it to see the story because then you forget. You forget that there's all this tension going on in the world or that you, you know, that there's this financial stress or there's this this scary virus going around. So what do you think about about where sport is now in our current world, which has changed so drastically so fast? That's a tough question. I my monologue. Yeah, you I mean, kind of covered a few it, things it there, it but I would. A question, it was but a I guess I guess just my quick take on it would be that. Yeah, sport is not a necessity of life, but it's definitely an amazing outlet that brings people together. They have something common to cheer or cry about or yell about. So it's an outlet for energy. It's it's entertainment, but it's also something that inspires. Kids watch a game, then they go out and try to mimic the moves, and so do adults, and it gets them active. It gets them fired up to get out and get active themselves and play that same game. So there's so many positive spinoffs that way that it's talk about something fun. Absolutely. Yeah. There's the people love to debate what's going to be happening. And the, the unfortunate part of this is that there's all kinds of debate right now about players not wanting to play or the salaries being changed and money's coming into it at a time that nobody wants to hear multi-million dollars complain about money and leagues are forcing things back when it just doesn't feel right. But at the same time, what a great time to be able to watch a game if we could. And, you know, the Bundesliga starting up. So there's soccer starting in Europe and there's nobody in the stands, but it's something for people to talk about and connect over that is generally a positive. And so it's, I think people are really feeling it. It's a big gap and it would be, I think the faster they can get sport back, fans or no fans, the faster it will help people recover a little bit because it is getting back to normal. Mm-hmm. And it's such a big part of so many people's lives in so many different ways that I just hope that they can get it sorted. I think it's such a good thing for young adults as well, especially males who have a lot of energy to burn off. And, <laughs> you know, seriously, because when <laughs> without getting too gender dividing it, you know, it's... <sighs> For however much sport serves women, which it does, I will be the first to say that. It also, I feel like it's a necessity for a lot of men because they need that that outlet, especially if they don't have um, people to communicate well with. It becomes 
it becomes so many things. It becomes the support system. It becomes the camaraderie. It becomes the physical venting for frustration. It becomes so many things. And, uh, and you know, we've got three boys and you take sport away and it's just, I, I see them completely deflated and I see I, I same thing for our daughters too. It's just doing something on zoom and, and I, you know, these teams, I have a whole team and another group of athletes that I'm working with over zoom and they're missing their practice and they can't be with their team. And it's just not the same. It's not the same. And they're just, uh, they start to look like this, um, a little bit lost version of themselves, I guess. They just seem a little bit lost, you know? And, and now you, you look at this whole, uh, pandemic and you start to see people adapt. Now they're accustomed to staying at home and never going out and our little one, because, you know, even though we'd like to bring her to the grocery store, bring her out on an outing when we go out, well, you're not supposed to. So this kid has only been at home or only been in a brand new neighborhood and then you get so isolated that you don't know, uh, there's no, you lose the comfort out in other spaces. So I, I really think that hopefully a show like The Last Dance really keeps people's hunger for what, what it can be. And, and that that becomes a, that becomes a, a safe space for for any sort of rivalry or conflict because it's a way to play it out to find a winner or a loser and not be, you know, having the conflict between human beings or races or genders or, you know, just let, let there be positive rivalry through sport instead of destructive rivalry through other, other avenues. Exactly. It's, it's the medicine we all need. I'm just talking out loud as I'm pondering all this. So we haven't, just, just to be clear on this, we have not finished The Last Dance. And I think that if there's a parallel here with The Last Dance and Michael Jordan, one of the reasons that we don't binge watch Netflix is because we have such high standards for what we want to accomplish in a day. And literally on a day-to-day basis tv watching either doesn't happen or happens for a 20 to 30 minute span of time and even throughout this pandemic i can't remember i i I don't i can't remember the last movie that i've that we've watched full through without splitting it into half or thirds I, i honestly i can't remember so we don't binge watch and that i think is a parallel to some of the high standards that Michael Jordan exemplifies in the last dance and it's that we prioritize with the things that we think matter and that's one of the reasons why it's a bite-sized chunk and it takes us a long time to get through a given series or a given show but this one we really want to talk about because it's had such an impact for us and how we communicate with each other just talking about it and the parallels and also I think how it influences sport and people's lives and how it can serve people right now so there you have it if you haven't caught our drift check it out we're giving it two thumbs way up the last dance on netflix (laughs) yeah 
So to finish up here, Kari, from the book of questions, you have to pick a number? 57, but check it if, in case I've picked it before. See, everyone in the world would think that you'd say 23 or 45 right now, but 57 it is. Well, if 57 isn't, is one I've done before, then we'll go with 23 or 9. Okay, here we go. Number 57. Would you be willing to give up sex for one year if you knew it would give you a much deeper sense of peace than you have now? Oh, Answer carefully. crying out loud. How did sex come up in the last dance for... Holy cow. Okay, so read it again. Would, I be willing would you be willing to give up, to give up sex, sex for one year if you knew it would give you a much deeper sense of peace than you have now? Would you? The question is yours. <laughs> okay. Uh... Why is this taking so long? Oh my gosh. There's only one answer. <laughs> no. However, okay, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. So first of all, the reason is no, because I think I can find a deeper level of peace without giving up sex. That That's the first thing. Number one. Number two, you know, could I do it? Yeah, I think I can do it. If people can be celibate for extended periods of time, I could do it, especially if there's a better outcome, like better sex down the road or um, deeper peace, like it, like it says. But I, I don't feel like if I was desperate for deeper peace, then maybe it'd be more urgent. But no, I, I don't think I need to give up sex for a year. Mind you. Great you answer. Know, um, okay, we're good. <laughs> So, folks, there you have it. <laughs> Question 57 from the Book of Questions has been resolved. Wow. So. And you? Are you going to answer that one? I no. Know you, no, you're not. Gonna. No is my answer. Oh, okay. That, that's it. Yeah. Just no. No explanation. Just no. Just no. Just no. Just say no. Do you need a deeper level of peace? <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, you do. All right. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Because we crazy have so world many there. listeners out yeah. there. We have so many listeners out there that we want to thank the plethoras and the hundreds and hundreds of people who are listening to us right now <laughs> because you're so bored in the pandemic. But no, seriously, pass it on. Share with others. We'd love it if we have more listeners. We're, uh, we're getting more, more interviews, more guests. And if you have someone who you think would be an amazing athlete interview or someone who's involved in sport, let us know because we love getting really interesting, cool people on here. So, yeah. Until Pass next time, world. <laughs> Stay safe, love each other, and, and be the people who stop the craziness in the world. Be the people who spread love. We love you. Bye.